My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies, and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share, and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening, and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Mary Appleton. She is the director and editor-in-chief at Changeboard, which is a company that produces a thought leadership magazine for senior HR leaders. Now, Mary has a real passion for diversity, equality and inclusion. And I'm really looking forward to discovering more from her today. Mary, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Now, tell me, how is lockdown going for you? Oh my goodness. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show today. So thanks so much for inviting me, Angela. Lockdown. Wow. Okay. So we are almost 12 weeks into lockdown, aren't we? And I think everybody can say that their lives have pretty much been turned upside down, um, not least for me. So I normally live in London and I'm speaking to you today from Yorkshire. So I'm with my parents and uh, my little boy, James, who's 18 months old. So we are all living together in lockdown. And actually, it's great having him because he doesn't know anything about what's going on in the outside world. And he just brings us great joy every day. Oh, to be 18 months old at the moment would <laughs> just be amazing, wouldn't it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Care in the world. And, and brilliant for him because he'll have the love of his grandparents as well as the love of his parents. So double bubble. Exactly. And and we're really, really lucky. You know, my mum and dad are, are great at kind of helping with him and, and looking after him. And it means that we can work and still function. So that's really good. Yeah, and you have a big job to do. And and I guess I want to start, first of all, by really getting you into the mindset of sharing your successes, because that's what the podcast is all about. So I always start with what I call the shake your pom-poms moment. And just to ask you really to open up about your three proudest moments. And that can be career and personal, you know, whatever you feel. Okay, so I've got three. And One is education focused, one is more kind of career focused and one is more, if you like, personal focused. So my first shake your pom-poms moment is getting into Cambridge University. So my background, I was brought up in a small town on the east coast of Hull and it's what you would probably describe as a deprived town and the school that I went to the local comprehensive school you know the teaching was was less about teaching and more about crowd control being really honest and you know the career ambitions of of my peers were pretty limited and learning just didn't really feature that heavily in in what in what we did so I, I struggled at school um 
because I found that mindset really, really difficult to to get my head around. So I loved learning. I, I was academically pretty strong and really wanted to learn. But, you know, it was challenging going to that school. So as soon as I could, I left at 16 to go to a local sixth form college in Hull, which actually was a three hour round trip to get to that sixth form college. And my mum had said to me, you'll never get up early enough to go to sixth form college all the way in Hull and get the bus and do that every single day. You won't do it. And I, I was like, I will do it. And it changed my life. So the the kind of the environment of a sixth form college was so much more focused towards learning because everybody had chosen to be there. And I loved it. And one of the teachers, when it came to um, the time of, of applying to universities, one of the teachers said to me, I think you could apply to go to Oxbridge. And I said, no, 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 no. Oxbridge is for posh people. I can't go there. Uh. And she she encouraged me to. And so she she drove me down to Cambridge one day to have a look around. And I fell in love with the place. And she said, look, I will help you kind of prepare to apply, take you through the application process and and help you. So I got an interview. She helped prep me for that. And I actually amazingly got an offer from Cambridge and I got in. So I got the A-levels that I needed to get. And then I and then I got into Cambridge, which was kind of an absolute dream come true. Never did I think I would I would have done that. So that was a big thing. It's really emotional hearing you say that. I've actually got goosebumps because, you know, as you say, to come from an area that, that is seen in those days, particularly to be so deprived and to make that happen, but also to have the support of somebody cheering you on I mean, that's huge and you did so well there as well so just share with us sort of the outcome of going to uni in terms of what you achieved so I studied English literature absolutely loved that and it was it was interesting actually because it was a massive culture shock so I didn't really think about it when I got there what the culture shock would be um, and you know we might talk about this later on in the conversation but I hadn't prepared for how different the environment would be. So, uh, you know, everybody wanted to know what school you went to and, and where you were from. And actually, that was what you were judged on. And I kind of couldn't get my head around that either. And I was like, what do you mean? What school did you go to? You won't have heard of it. What does this matter? So that was challenging in itself. But you know what? I, I found my own. Um, I found, You know, you seek out people like you who have the same value system. And there were some amazing people that I met there. And, and you know, since then, it has opened some great doors for me. But and it's taught me a lot about um, kind of resilience and focus. And, you know, I'm still hugely grateful that I had the opportunity to study there because, you know, it's it's a real privilege. So I'm really grateful. And you earned it. You weren't it. And it's an incredible achievement. And am I right in saying you got an honours degree? Yes. Yeah. So I got. Um... Yes, she says. <laughs> That's like real pom-poms moment. <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing. Amazing. So so this educational one, hugely inspiring. And And then what about the work one? So the second one is actually launching a magazine in the Middle East. So I, um, at the time, worked for the company that I I still work for now. And we had a really well-established magazine in the UK for HR professionals. 
And we went over to Dubai to a big HR conference and took the magazine there. And people said, we absolutely love this magazine, but it's all about the UK. Can you do something for us that's focused on our region and the challenges that we face? So the guys that I work for are hugely, hugely entrepreneurial. And they said, yeah, we can. So they kind of gave me this task of launching from scratch um, a bespoke magazine for the Middle East region, um, which was an amazing privilege. So spent a lot of time out in Dubai, Abu Dhabi. I went to Saudi Arabia, which, again, was quite interesting from a female perspective going to that to that area. But actually, it was really important for me not not to make that magazine tokenistic and not just be a Western person trying to pervade Western, you know, um, attitudes in that region. You know, I was hugely, hugely respectful of, of the challenges that they face over there. And actually, there was huge appetite for learning and development and leadership capability out there. So worked hard to launch that magazine. And, you know, there's nothing quite like when you sent a magazine off to press, getting that first box of copies and opening it up and just smelling it. The smell, uh, yeah. It's amazing. And I'm sure you, you had that with your book. But, um, yeah, it, it, that was an amazing moment. And to be given the opportunity to do something like that and trusted to kind of run with it, come up with the concept, the ideas, you know, build a network out there. And I still have a very strong network of people that I met all those years ago. And yeah, it, it, that's a real, a real career pom-pom moment for me. Mm, that's incredible. Incredible. And, and is that magazine still, still there now? No, <laughs> it's not. But actually one of the things that we, um, that we, we kind of do in our business is everything is built on relationships. So being able to operate in that region opened a lot of doors for us um, in all sorts of different ways. So it's it absolutely is about who you know out there. And, you know, the way that we approach things as a business is built on relationships. So we've done all sorts of different things out there. So we've gone on to do big events out there um, with the big HR um, membership body out there. We've done things all across the region in all sorts of different ways. So, yeah, it, it certainly opened doors for us. Um, and, you know, it's a great place to do business. And you mentioned in that about the uh, magazine in print. Are you finding sort of as times go on that the print versions are less in demand than a digital one? Or is there still as much desire to get hold of the physical copies, would you say? So that's a really, really interesting question, because when we launched our magazine in the UK, it was about 10 years ago. And we did that at a time when everybody else was culling their print offering and going digital only. But we started our business as a digital platform and then launched a print product. So we almost subverted the model. And because we had built an audience of really, really senior HR directors and senior business leaders, they said, do you know what? I get so many emails and so many digital things. I love having something tangible to hold. Yeah. Um, and that's the feedback that we still that we still get today. So we absolutely still invest in that print product. It really resonates um, with that readership. But we understand that the way that people consume content is always changing. So we absolutely offer a digital format so that people can consume it in the way that they want to. Interestingly, with the whole lockdown situation, so 
the kind of subscription list that we have for the magazine, you know, is predominantly people's work addresses. So people get it delivered to their offices. Of course, nobody's in their offices right now. So sending out a print magazine is probably not the smartest thing to do. So it's actually given us the opportunity to look at our digital offering and how we really enhance that, you know, maybe make that more regular, for example, so that people can consume it in the way that they're working, which is absolutely, you know, at home on the go at the moment. And it's just you being able to respond to that in that agile way, isn't it? Which you're you're obviously doing, which is good. And and tell us then about the more personal pom poms moment. So I guess um, it's becoming a mom, and I know that um, quite a few of your guests have talked about becoming parents, but. I had a little boy 18 months ago and I have to say, you know, over the last 18 months, I've done more learning, I think, than I have done in the last 18 years. And I've learned so much just from kind of even about pregnancy, giving birth. And a lot of focus actually is put on pregnancy and and the day that you give birth, but not much about afterwards. Uh, (laughs) There's no manual, is there? (laughs) So, you know... I kind of, when I was pregnant, I was very, you know, I wanted to read all the books. I wanted to inform myself as much as possible about what bringing a baby into this world would be about. I felt very prepared. And then suddenly I gave birth a month early and it it threw all of my plans out of the window. And I was like, what do you mean this baby's here? Um, So I hadn't even finished work. I hadn't done my handover. I I hadn't started maternity leave. I hadn't had that two weeks on the sofa watching films and eating chocolate. Wasted. Oh, you were robbed. Uh, I was. I was. Um, so, you know, my plan didn't go to plan. And that was that was pretty tough to, to get my head around. And because my baby was quite early, you know, he was quite poorly at the beginning. So there was all of that to deal with, which you don't plan for necessarily. And so, it, it you know, every day since then has been a learning journey. Um, but I'm so proud that that we have him because he teaches us something different every day. And, you know, as I said at the start, he just brings joy into every day for us. But it's hard. you know. Oh, it's definitely hard. And I'm, I'm interested to, to pick up on that, actually, in terms of, you know, you have a big job, London based. and I know your husband works as well. So you've got an 18 month old toddler. They have lots of needs and lots of energy. How do you balance being a working mum, you know, making sure that you are there for him as much as you can, that you're there for your husband, that you're there for yourself and that you're there for work? Yeah, I think it, I mean, the last year has been quite a tough journey just adjusting to that because I think, you know, people can tell you about their experience and what they've done. But actually, until you're doing it yourself, it's hard to relate to to that. Um, And, you know, curveballs come along that you wouldn't have expected would come along. So my first day back at work after maternity leave, I was all buoyed up. I was in the office. I was ready to go. You know, I'd had 10 months off and I dropped my little boy at nursery. I tried not to do the whole crying Crying thing thing. (laughs) to work. I just kind of left him and I got a call from the nursery an hour after I left him to say he's been sick you're gonna have to come get him he can't go back to the nursery for 48 hours and I was like what do you mean I've just had 10 months off work I can't possibly leave the office and say bye guys I'm not going to be in for another two days um, but that's the reality of these things. And I, and I, you know, I'm really fortunate in my job that I get to speak to a lot of 
senior women um, and role models who have done this before me. And I feel incredibly privileged that I can have the kind of conversations um, with them about it. And I think the overall message that I've got from people is, do you know what? Things don't get any easier. The, the juggle is real. It's really hard. But actually, you just learn to live with it a little bit more. So, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, finish every day and think, well, I've tried my very best, whether that's at work, whether that's, you know, with your baby or, or your children and actually made some time for yourself, I think you can kind of rest easy. And, that, and that's the feedback I've had. And that's what I'm living through at the moment. I love that. So that idea of really recognizing that you've done the best that you can. And some days that might not even come up to expectation, but it's okay because it was the best you could. But you also mentioned in there taking some time for you as well. So let's just let's just take that as a point, actually, and, and explore that a bit in terms of how you look after your mindset and your well-being and, and keep yourself as up as you possibly can. Yeah. So I think the term self-care is maybe become a bit of a cliche but actually it's really really true because it's so important and you can't give to other people if you don't give to yourself essentially so being kind to yourself is really really key and I, I'm terrible for this because I'm my biggest critic so you know <laughs> through my life I have been extremely hard on myself just to you know my mindset has been wired to to kind of berate myself if I haven't you know done this that and the other but actually through through I guess my my life I've found things that have helped me kind of navigate through that so about eight years ago I found Bikram yoga and the practice of yoga in a hot room at 40 degrees really helped me feel connected between you know my mind and my body so exercising in 40 degree heat is really really tough and it's a repetitive practice. So you do the same thing every single class. It's the same postures, 26 postures, two breathing exercises. And I like that kind of the same thing over and over again, practicing, refining, perfecting. And within that, there are opportunities to, you work really, really hard on a posture and then you lay down in a savasana and you are very awake so they say you know keep your eyes open and just notice how everything feels for you so how do your toes feel how do your knees feel how do your earlobes feel and and they kind of guide you through this practice which really helps you kind of reframe everything and shut out everything that's gone on with the day and just connect your breathing your body and your mind it's and almost mindfulness isn't it yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, and so I really got into that practice of yoga. Um, I did pregnancy yoga um, when I was pregnant, which which was brilliant. And I went on a yoga retreat, you know, and, and we did meditation every morning. And that mm. practice of just kind of stepping away, you know, has really, really helped me. So so in terms of looking after myself, that that's helped. Nutrition also has been um, helpful for me. So in my mid-20s, I was quite large physically. So I'd got to a place where I was pretty unhealthy with the drinking and the eating. And I'd got, you know, to quite a large size. And I'd always kind of battered that off as like the bubbly one. But actually, you know, it kind of, it did niggle away at me. So mm. I worked hard at a slimming, I joined a slimming club and worked hard and, and got four stone off, which was great. Oh, but didn't really teach me anything about nutrition itself 
so it was more about how can you restrict to yes, to lose the weight which, yeah which was a great short-term thing but actually so before my wedding I discovered the body coach uh, oh good old Joe <laughs> And I did that plan and it really transformed the way that I looked at food, the way that I looked at exercise. You know, he teaches so much about how you fuel your body, um, you know, when you should be exercising, all of that, what you should be eating, how you should be eating, and also acknowledging that, you know, you need to find balance. So treats are absolutely fine. And, you know, so I love that outlook because I'm a real foodie and I love my food. Um, But actually just having a bit more education about what I should be eating and when has really, really 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 helped me so I guess you know looking after myself it's about finding time where I can have opportunities to be mindful you know at the moment I don't have much time you know to kind of (laughs) from yoga class for 90 minutes which I did have um pre-baby and pre-marriage but you know now it's about just finding finding little opportunities to notice what's going on what's going on with you how your you know how your feet are placed on the ground mm. and that's that's really important and then you know coupling that with sleep as well trying to get enough sleep but also you know just fueling your body in the right way with the right sorts of food so and that's that's challenging in lockdown when you just want to reach for the chocolate biscuit <laughs> <laughs> and it's not readily available in terms of how often you can shop either exactly. now you mentioned in there you mentioned about the inner critic and this this idea of being hard on yourself and and you know that can be seen can't it as a double-edged sword in terms of it's not great when your inner critic is in overdrive but equally it be, can become a driver for you to keep achieving and keep moving on and keep doing more so what what are the types of things that motivate you to really keep on keeping on and and moving on to the next thing I guess from a motivation perspective so there's a there's a couple of things there's there's like the short-term practical stuff that motivates me so in my job at the moment I run a, a magazine and actually creating something and seeing the end product like we talked about is hugely motivating for me so being able to you know design something I've got an amazing team around me um you know being able to come up with a concept and you know create that and it's a physical thing to look at that's absolutely brilliant um and that really helps me kind of you know get fulfillment out of out of every day I guess from an emotional perspective you know keeping on I guess I love helping other people so I feel like as I've said I've got a really privileged role and I feel like I've got a real opportunity with the magazine and the platform that we have to contribute to an agenda and to influence an agenda so you know social mobility for example is a real passion point of mine in it's in it's you know because of my experiences in my education and going to Cambridge and all of that and you know I, I did a lot of work actually while I was at Cambridge to try and help widen access to people from underprivileged backgrounds because that's really important to me because you can't be what you can't see oh, so I love that <laughs> I did loads of work to, with with the colleges to reach out to schools who you know were in the same category as mine were so in deprived areas and um, did things like summer schools mentoring etc where people from those schools would come and get a bit of a taster about what Cambridge life would be like and that 
for me was really really important and hugely hugely motivating and one when I'd done done that one year a couple of years later and it was a couple of years later I was in a pub in London and this guy came up to me and he said oh hi Mary and I was like who is this guy and I I suddenly remembered it was one of the uh, students who'd come on one of these courses and he'd been he was a guy called John from Sheffield and he'd come on on this course and and he was kind of saying look Cambridge isn't for me Oxbridge isn't for me I'm not interested in it but he'd kind of similar to me been told that he he should and he said and he said to me I am going to Cambridge in October because you inspired me to go Oh, my goodness. And I'd had several conversations with him at the time and, and really encouraged him to do it. And, and I wasn't sure that he would. Um, and then just to randomly see him in a pub, I was like, that's amazing. And I'm so grateful that he felt inspired by what I had done because I talked to him a lot about my journey and, and how I'd done that. So I guess I've, I've always held that with me. And any opportunity I have to inspire people to make change for the better or to help people I absolutely would love to do that and and so I see my role as very privileged right now with the magazine and and the HR platform you know I I, my job is to bring together perspectives from lots of lots of different areas so thought leaders academics business people CEOs people who've done amazingly well in their careers if I can talk to them and showcase their insights in the hope of you know, it might be inspiring other organizations to do things a little bit differently around how they attract talent. So they are looking beyond, you know, what they already know. Exactly. Um, Then, then that's kind of, you know, a job well done, I'd like to think. I love the story about John from Sheffield, because that just tells me it's like the teacher that helped you. It's almost like you repaying that and you doing that role for other people and, and to be able to hear the the outcome of that story is just really special and so you're you're brilliant at supporting other people and helping other people find opportunities that they might not necessarily be able to see and I'm interested to know about kind of your lessons learned really along the way and and you know we all lean into adversity we all have stuff that happens to us that shapes who we are as individuals and and you alluded to something at university and perhaps it'll be that that you share but but what have you learned through through some of the harder moments I guess so I think you know adversity is really helpful because it helps give you a broader perspective on something so you know as I alluded to my my interest and my passion is around from around social mobility comes from my own experience so you know being defined by the school that you went to was just nonsense for me um so I wanted to do something about that I Uh, love the way you say that it's like (laughs) (laughs) It was true though. It's kind of like, what do you mean? <laughs> I just didn't understand it at all. I didn't understand that mindset. But you know, adversity can also help develop your resilience, which you know, is a key trait. You know, we talk about that a lot in terms of what are the key skills that are going to be really pertinent in the future of work, particularly when everything's so uncertain. I also have um, so my sister. She 
is a couple of years younger than me and she has Down syndrome. So I've seen through a perspective, a different perspective, how unequal society can be and weighted towards different elements. And so, you know, inclusion is another really, really key passion point for me um, and equality. And actually, you know, it really saddens me that we do still live in a bit of a, well, a very unequal society. That's that's playing out a lot at the minute in other areas. But I think, you know, adversity can really help, help you become stronger. And actually, I've interviewed a lot of people who've overcome adversity in their own lives so you know one of the one of the people that I interviewed um some years ago was a lady called Martine Wright and she was on the tube in the 7-7 bombing attacks and she lost her legs and she subsequently retrained to be a Paralympic athlete and competed in the London 2012 Olympics and that that story was absolutely amazing because you think gosh that losing your leg you know waking up having been involved in that terrible terrible tragedy and then just totally reframing your life is hugely incredible I interviewed Lenny Henry a couple of years ago and he talks about his own own journey you know and the challenges that he's faced um in the media and and the representation of people of color and all of that so you know he was incredibly inspiring too and so you know there's a lot of different stories of adversity that I have covered um, that I've had the privilege to speak to people about but then also my own journey so I think your own experiences definitely inform your ways of operating um, and your beliefs Uh, I think yeah I think adversity doesn't always have to be a negative thing in the end no, I totally agree with you. The idea of it then creating the sense of resilience and that bounce back ability. And, and it doesn't really matter, does it, in terms of what you've experienced versus the person next to you and, and the difference between those two things doesn't matter because it all comes down to what you've experienced, what you've made it mean, how it's felt for you, and then how you survived and thrived as a result of it. Um, and you're definitely thriving there is no <laughs> doubt about it you're hugely inspirational and just you know so many stories of how you have made it happen and you know to do all of that and be a mum and you know do it so well is is gonna make people feel like they can too and so we're at the point now this is where I put you under real pressure Mary as right. we go into play the five second game rule. And she puts her head in her hands. I've heard this. I've heard this. I know what this is. (laughs) (laughs) And I haven't prepped you for this one. Mary said to me at the beginning, do I get the five second game world questions? I said, no. So it is completely off the cuff. Are you ready? I think so. So, So, Mary, in the five second game rule, can you give me three things that you can do to perk up your mood? So go on a boat trip, spend some time with my son and do yoga. On a boat trip? Yeah, I love trips. Yeah. Like what kind of boat are we talking about? I mean, now obviously, but just I love the sea so where I am at the moment we're by the sea um, and all I want to do is get on a boat and just go out and 
that ocean. Um, just any boat, a little boat, a small, a large boat, any boat would be fine. Um, just to kind of look around and all you can see is horizon. Amazing. Gorgeous. And they do say that being close to salt is very good for you as well, doesn't it? So the salt from the sea. So as you're so good at this, then we'll do another one. So Mary, you have spoken to lots and lots of people in your career. You've interviewed many. So you'll be good at this question. In the five second game rule, can you give me three traits of a successful person? Uh, Humility, energy and connection. Boom. (laughs) Straight away. I love that you had humility in there um, because you can be successful. You can celebrate your successes, but also be humble and have that humility. And, and, And I think that's lovely that you've got that. And then you said connection as well. What does connection mean for you? So I guess it means building connection with other people. So I would describe myself probably as a bit of a connector so I always try and embrace any interaction that I have with you know my best self and think well how do I want to be remembered after this conversation but also being generous so what can I do for this other person what can I do by you know giving them my time you know giving them space to talk to me what can I, you know, how can I, can I introduce them to somebody that would be use, a useful connection for them? So just how can I build connection? Um, it means lots and lots of different things to me. But those are, that, those are kind of some of the key things, I think. It'd be nice to have that definition in the dictionary, because so often connection means what, what does that mean for me? But actually what you're saying is what can I do for other people? Yeah. Gorgeous. I love that. Okay, and so we're on to the killer question Mm -hmm. of the podcast. This is the one that everybody wants to know the answer to. And so far, in all of the podcasts we've done, we haven't had an answer that's the same. Go figure. So the question is, in your mind, what is the absolute secret to success? So it's such a good question because I'd actually throw back to you it kind of depends on how you view success so often what we think is success doesn't necessarily bring us fulfillment so you know when when you're younger you might think actually to be successful I want to earn six figures and I want to be a managing director and I want to have the status and this financial stability but does that give fulfillment? I think there's a bit of a disconnect between what we actually perceive as success and what it what it what it is. So I think for me that translates into okay, doing a bit of inner work to identify what really drives you. And and if you can connect your inner motivations to a wider purpose, that is more meaningful and fulfilling and it feels more like success. So for me, it's connecting my everyday work to helping people and inspiring them to make change. That's what really, really drives me. And alongside that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I try my best to show up as the best version of me all of the time in every interaction. And it's it's hard, you don't do it all the time, but having the ambition to do it is good. Absolutely. Um, and just listening always. But that defining success in your own eyes, rather than that of society or your parents, yeah. your husband or your wife or whoever else has an opinion on it deciding what that means for you I can completely connect with that doing that changed my life so I'm so glad that you've you've brought that <laughs> to the table today and I love this this 
intent that you have to be the best that you can be in every interaction. If we can all just take that away and try and implement that into our lives too, then this will be a podcast that will um, help people hugely, I'm sure. Mary, I knew I was going to enjoy talking to you today. We have been on social media together for quite a long time and never actually met. We're not meeting in person today either, which is a shame. But I knew that as a fellow Northern lady, you and I would hit it off. I have loved talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing and being so honest. I just think you are wonderful in every way oh well thank you ever so much for having me on the podcast I really really appreciate it I must say I was nervous because I'm normally sitting in your seat doing the interviewing I'm not normally the one doing the answering so you know I hope it's provided some some nuggets of inspiration but yeah thank you very much I'm I'm honored to be on the podcast thank you I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.